Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. And a gracious good morning to all of you. And it's nice to be home to, um, to this area. I guess some of you knew that um, I grew up in Edison, which isn't too far away, as you know. Uh, my mom still lives there. Uh, and, and it's kind of interesting because I'm very grateful for growing up in Middlesex County because you, you learn so much about this area. I, I oftentimes tell some of my guys, you know, at the colony, they say, I have no idea. You know, you guys have no idea to, to live as the second worst Superfund site in America as your backyard, the Kinbuck landfill. I was grateful for being there. But I, the, the, the wonderful thing about living in this, in this particular area is that I grew up with wonderful people. And I, I had an opportunity of learning and growing and I had great parents and it was, was a wonderful place to be. So it's nice to be home again. As a matter of fact, I was just sharing that, that I actually am having lunch with my sister and my mom right after we're finished, so uh, it'd be nice to be home again. And I am grateful for so, so many things, and you probably are too, but let me ask this deep philosophical question. How, how can we be grateful in such an ungrateful world? Can we even thank God for everything in a world that stinks and it ain't just the landfill? The world itself reminds us every minute of every day that it is rotten. We have a horrible situation going on in Iraq. We have political bickering. We have finger pointing in Washington. We have carnage from hurricanes that have hit here in central Jersey. And let's not forget, we've got this thing called coronavirus that's floating around. We recently had an outbreak of COVID-19 at the Colony of Mercy. And we already have a rather small population right now. And when literally half of the guys are put in quarantine, we have an issue. The world stinks. Literally stinks. Well, maybe it isn't about the world. Maybe, maybe it's not about the circumstances or the world that continues to affect us. Maybe just maybe, it's us. Anger, mistrust, confusion, self-focus, disrespect, entitlement, disregard for life, lack of acceptance of differences, self-absorption, self-centeredness, more I than we, 
Blaming you, not me. This is our culture. It's hateful. It's toxic, mean, uninviting, painful. It's a world that is filled with sorrows. It's not hard to be discouraged or depressed. I'll confess to you this morning that as even as I was getting ready and preparing my heart for what I'm going to share with you today, I was hit like a ton of bricks. The same sort of situation that we're talking about here. A feeling like I was thrown under the bus. A feeling like I was negatively being impacted. And a lot of negative feelings came rolling up inside of me. It's hard. We live in a stinking world. We live in a stinking culture because we ourselves stink. We need to take a biblical look at, at this current life that we live in, and, and we need to look at it a bit differently. Especially in light of the culture that, that is consistently reminding us that everything in the world is rotten. Everything is a waste. That, that there is no hope. And then the blessings that you can count on is not the size of your bank account, or your earthly possessions, or even your righteousness. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for giving us what you have. We're grateful, Lord. Thank you again for showing us so much, and so much we do not deserve. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When you and I are asked, what are you thankful for? And if you believe Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, that's exactly what you thank him for. That he sent his son to die on a cross so that you might have eternal life. That's cool. We dig that. It's all good. That'd be a very biblical answer. Merrill Unger, who was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, defined thankfulness like this. Thankfulness is a duty of which the gratitude is the grace. The gratitude is the grace. In other words, it's what God did and does for us. And continues to do for us and others. The Psalms that we read earlier, are just chock full of thankfulness. Check it out. Psalm 31. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. And you flip over to Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercies endure forever. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, his wonderful works, to the children of the men, of the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And just like Dr. Unger stated, it's all about that unmerited favor from God, as the Apostle Paul writes in first in Second Corinthians chapter nine. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Good? So as we study this, we might, we might think that 
It's all about this amazing and wonderful favor that God presents to us, this gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of his son. And it is the gifts, the grace, all the great and desirable things, all the blessings. Hashtag blessed. But there's more to this thankfulness thing. Now, all of us have heard that little phrase, an attitude of gratitude. See, see, it needs to be part of our entire being. At time, it's the gratefulness part is more than just this emotional response that, that we have. It's, it's, it's more than just a recognition of what we've already received, and we kind of look at it as past tense. What gratefulness is, is really soul-focused. It, it's, it's visceral. It, it's overwhelming. It's not a was, it's an is. Again, easy to say, hard to do. After all, look where we all live. In New Jersey. Now, we have a lot to be grateful for here in Jersey. We don't pump our own gas. We have pork roll, not Taylor ham. And a cheesesteak in New Jersey is different than a cheesesteak you would get in South Carolina, where they slap a piece of Swiss on a porterhouse. It's in a roll, chopped with whiz. That's gratitude and cholesterol. What gratefulness is, is this outpouring of love and grace that God has already lavished on us. Present tense. Paul writes about gratefulness in his letter to the Colossians during his first imprisonment in Rome. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn them to Colossians 3, starting in verse 15. And as you're going there, we're going to note three purposes that seem to be on Paul's mind when he wrote to the church in Colossae, which is, by the way, located in Asia Minor with both Greek and Hebrew residents. Remember, there were new believers in Colossae. They were, they were first-generation Christians. Now, remember, these new believers, they were still kind of getting into the whole groove of what this Christian thing is all about and who Jesus is. Okay? So in a sense, what they're trying to do is put together the culture that is so new and try to combine it with this old thing they were living in. What was normal. What Paul does is he, he looks to show the deity and supremacy of Christ at the same time of trying to lead and shepherd the Colossians to a new sense of spiritual maturity. A big piece of that is an attitude of gratitude. Okay. In fact, he starts off the epistle and Paul was thanking God for these guys that he's writing to because of their faithfulness and commitment to the cause of Christ. Listen to the first chapter of the letter as Paul writes to the Colossians. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of which 
you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you and is also in the world and bringing forth fruit as is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is also a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love of the Spirit. Notice here, very important, Paul was getting nothing in return. He is just giving thanks to God for something they, the Colossian church, has received. That attitude of gratitude is focusing on something bigger than him. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. A Roman prison. None of the creature comforts. It was brutal. Harsh. Point number one. An attitude of gratitude is a reflection of the heart. An attitude of gratitude is a reflection of the heart. Go to Colossians 3.15 and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And be thankful. Now you read that and you say, it's really great and a wonderful message. It's perfect fodder for a counted cross-stitch sitting on a pillow that you have on your couch or maybe on the wall. Wonderful. And then we walk out the door and we enter a world that is one hot mess. Let's unpack this a little bit and get a little context, shall we? Look in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Now remember, Paul is writing this to those first-generation Christians, and he's been reminding them of their new status as believers, just as he warned them of the false teachers back in chapter 2. Those false teachers that were starting to infiltrate their thinking patterns. The same way that false teachers can infiltrate our thinking patterns. Now, he moves from the theoretical to the practical when he comes to chapter 3. Paul explains true Christian behavior. And we change our moral and ethical behavior by letting Christ come rolling out through his Holy Spirit that lives within us. That way, he can shape us into who we should be. And behavior my brothers and sisters, is not driven by what we do, but what's in here on the way out. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Then, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ is, sitting in the right hand, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. My brothers and sisters, let me share something with you. If you haven't figured this out yet, Satan has control of this world, the world that we now view as chaotic. We see this world as going to Hades in a handbasket. Why? Because Satan's running the joint. 
He's the father of lies. Deceit and distraction are his best weapons. And we ourselves may view that and say we are doing God's work, but the reality is we're not focusing on God. We may look at our current political situation and say we need to stand for a cause. But the cause has to be focused on Scripture. Everything we do, everything we say, has to run through God's Word. And if it doesn't, where does it come from? Paul emphasizes that we have control because of God's great gift, free will. We can make choices. Yes, I know that God is sovereign, but I also know he has blessed us with the ability of choosing. So, he implores us to take action. Look at Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on this earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is adultery. I'm sorry, idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put these, put off these, all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Two sets of sins are listed here. Okay, the first five refer to sexual sin. Okay, the second five refer to sins of speech. Now, these first five related to the cultural background of the Colossians that, that were particularly deadly in the life of this church, or any church, for that matter. But if you look at the second five, they could destroy any opportunity for us to make an impact for Christ in the world. And frankly, each of these sins are not driven by the world, but rather our choices. A deliberate act coming from the heart of individuals distracted from the awareness of who God actually is and his presence that is literally all around us. All of these sins, all sin, separates us from God. That's Satan's plan. It's wrapped up in these actions. All these actions come from the heart. You can't apply and have this attitude of gratitude. Because once we focus on these sins, every one of them, it's all about us. All sin, all sin can be broken down into two words. Me first. Me first. Is any of that that's listed up there not center on those two words? 
And why is greed or coveting, idolatry? Because we turn our focus on wanting earthly things, not heavenly things. Allowing Jesus to take over our lives means that he has control of our hearts. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to do that. Because after all, that's why he died. He died for these sins. He died for our sin. He died so we could put them to death. Paul continues, Colossians 3, 11, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. These words from the inspired word of God demonstrate Jesus' death was for everyone. It is colorblind, genderblind, nationalityblind, sinblind death. He even died for the souls of those that want us dead. Our worst enemy. Your ex-spouse. Your not-so-nice co-worker. The Taliban. Al-Qaeda. A Republican. Or a Democrat. Your salvation, your trust in Christ, freed you from all of that. Christ's death on the cross was sufficient to save our sinful souls. And now we need to put those behaviors from the heart to death. Releasing them and letting Christ control my heart. They're not necessary, needed, or even encouraging. That freedom allows us to be grateful. Grateful. Instead of all that human slop. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That's another word for patience, by the way. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We talked a little about being grateful for living in New Jersey. Unless, of course, you drive one of our lovely interstate highways. We have taken road rage to an art form. And it's beautiful. Or is it? Do we reflect the cause of Christ as we're cutting someone off and then showing them one of our five fingers? And then we have to be careful because we might have a fish symbol on the back of our car. Is that an outpouring of our hearts? Is that an attitude of gratefulness? Is that what we seek to serve Christ? Even if they know we're not Christians. So where does this foundation for our attitude of gratitude actually comes from? 
ask the question of yourself. Where's my identity? Our identity comes from Christ. Christ is our identity. Oh, sure, you have a title. Mother, father, son, husband, wife. Doesn't matter. Our identity is in Christ. And we need to remember that because it's the very cornerstone of respect and human dignity. The requirement to live in a world that is truly uninterested in things of God or to at least put on this religious appearance as it's written in the Greek. We need to put up with others. We need to put up with other people that might irritate us, might tick us off, might cut us off on the highway, might deserve something that we think they deserve. Uh -uh. What God calls us to do is something that's absolutely, positively impossible to do. Ready for this? Forgive them. Ooh, that hurt. Forgive them. Forgiveness is the most powerful demonstration of God's love and grace. We need to forgive completely because that's the way the Lord forgave us as he hung on a cross because we didn't know what we were doing to the son of the living God. But if you're a believer, you do now. And that's a demonstration of gratitude because he took what we deserve. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I'll add the word, and me. And that's how we adopt an attitude of gratitude. Our success in the Christian walk depends on it. Binding together as a church body was critical for the Colossian church, and it's critical here at Oldbridge Baptist. Now, the search is beginning to wind down for a full-time pastor, a shepherd, that man who will, who will lead this flock. And as a church, with the big C or the little C, we might love each other, at least we claim we do, but we live in a world like the Colossians did, that focuses more on ourselves than others. We need an attitude of gratitude to serve the living God. Again, if we look at verse 15 again, for a more interpretive translation, we let the peace of Christ, which is soul-based harmony, directly coming from Christ's rule, which acts more like an umpire or referee in our hearts, that way we can finally decide and settle all the questions that arise in our minds in that peaceful state. That's the way we're supposed to live as members of one body in Christ, which we are called to do. Now, check out the last sentence of that verse. And be thankful. And be thankful. The word translated as thankful 
is eucharistos in Greek. It's the only place in the New Testament that that word actually appears. And Paul connotes that the Colossian church and us should be considered well-favored and thankful for the peace of God with an overarching attitude of gratitude, which is consistently in our hearts for all that God has done. And that includes the gift of eternal life through Jesus and becoming part of the body of Christ. And then all the other virtues we talked about will come naturally. Or at least they should, unless something gets in the way, and that's usually us. You don't have to try and be compassionate. We are compassionate. We're Christians. And we don't have to try to be patient. We're patient. I think it's hilarious sometimes when the colony guys come to me and say, Chap, I just want you to know, I really don't like this guy, but I'm trying. <laughs> okay. He said, well, yeah, you know, I use a lot of nasty language, but, but you know what? That's the way I used to live, but you know, I'm trying. So I'm, and you'll say, you know, I'm really trying you know, to act like a Christian. You know what my response is? Stop acting. Start doing. I always sound like a North Jersey Christian when I say that. The great 20th century philosopher, Yoda, said... Do or not do. There is no try. That's not scriptural, but it works. But that's true. It's in your heart. It's in your way. It's in who you are. Because Christ infuses us with the strength and knowledge and the ability to be able to serve because he has a Holy Spirit that lives within us, which is the third person of the Trinity. It's God. Just for the record, being thankful makes other relationships a lot easier. Doesn't it? Verse 16, chapter 3, Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. By the way, you know what we do really good as Christians? You know what we're really awesome at? Admonishing one another. We're great at it. I mean, it's almost a team sport. You know, you get together with another Christian and say, you know, let's, uh, really don't like the way she's handling this situation. I think we need to admonish her. We need to, we need to approach her in love. Well, there's the irony of that. Speak the truth, but we always forget about the love part. It's absolutely amazing to me that we can tell other people what's wrong with them based on their created standard, not God's. And some of you know that I spent most of my working life in a corporate environment before God called me into full-time ministry. I worked for a number of companies that you probably can recognize. You may even be patronizing. Now, some people think that now, since I work in this full-time Christian ministry in an organization that 
has tremendous value and continues to provide to men and women throughout this area as well as the world, the possibility of dealing with an addiction, both men and women, as well as serving in a conference ministry, that I got it made, that there's never any conflict, strife, bitterness, anger, misunderstanding, backbitings, rumors, sarcasm, passive-aggressive behavior, none of that. Newsflash, breaking news. There are sinners working at America's Keswick. And as a result, there is sin. And for the record, I work at America's Keswick. And I am a sinner. Saved by grace, but a sinner. We love calling people out. We love it. And there is this tremendous pleasure that we have viscerally to find flaw in other people. Catching somebody in the act of doing stupid. It's great. It's wonderful. It makes him look bad and me look good. But, when it comes to scripture, is always a but. But, we're to do that with wisdom based on the teaching that we learn through God's word. And here it is. Point number two. An attitude of gratitude is a reflection of the gospel. An attitude of gratitude is a reflection of the gospel. The overarching truth in this is the truth. The message of Christ, the gospel, needs to be always top of mind. It is to dwell among us as a church and me individually. It is fundamental to our attitude of gratitude. And what is the gospel? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he is buried. And that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Did you hear that? Twice, he says. That's the good news. It's complete. It's simple. It covers every element of our miserable earthly existence. Replacing the pain and mistrust with something called thankfulness. And we need to spread it. With the heart of gratefulness, look here. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Paul joins the word teach with the word admonish. Which, by the way, if you were to read it in Greek, okay, it implies that when we admonish, we're to do this gently. Gently. And that applies to all of us. And we need to be knowledgeable in the scriptures to teach and admonish responsibly. And that separates us from our opinions. And replaces that with God's truth. Not as a hammer, 
to our fellow believers, to belittle them and hurt them and to show them to be the inferior people that we ourselves are. It's a reminder of God's direction for our lives. The word is the thing that gives us wisdom. Not self-focused psychobabble or legalistic tradition, but real wisdom that can be shared to grow the kingdom of God and can strengthen our relationship with him. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, we read and embrace his word and we respect him, God, for that. And the result of that becomes wisdom, which grows us in the knowledge of God. In that, we learn we cannot do it alone or in a vacuum. We need him. We need the saving power of the Son. We need his love because we need him. It's humbling, this power, the glory, the truth of the word. He allows us to be part of his efforts, his work, his plan. We acknowledge that with wait for it, an attitude of gratitude. Point number three, an attitude of gratitude is a reflection of our dependence on God. Our attitude of gratitude is a reflection of our dependence on God. Colossians 3 17. We can look at this and we can cry out in praise and thankfulness and gratitude to the only one that we possibly could depend on. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In this toxic, self-absorbed culture. It's not an easy message to swallow or accept or share. But once we realize who this Christ is and embrace him, the fact that we are helpless, broken creatures we have no other choice but to thank him and praise him for his incredible love and care. Our words, our doing, depends on our recognition of Jesus. There is no secular, sacred split. We're not evangelical schizophrenics taking the holy with the church folks and the world outside of the four walls of this church. My brothers and sisters, just a reminder, this is not the church. This 
is the church. And we take it with us when we walk out into a stinky world that's waiting to hear good news. We need to remember that the world sees itself as bad, as horrible, as painful. But above it all, God is still God. He is loving, caring, and sovereign. And all of this negative, all of the horror, all of the 24-hour news channels, all of the blogs, all of the social media, all the things that bombard us on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis that we are forced to swallow. He's still on the throne. It is not dependent even on our circumstances. But rather who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to us. It's who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what we're exposed to. It's who we are in Christ. Because our circumstances change, our identity doesn't. It's all about who we are in Christ. And that he is worthy of our praise. Worthy of all the glory. And he's also worthy of our grateful heart. That truth, that singular truth, should permeate every fiber of our being. Our minds, our hearts, our souls. And it's important to mention and remind ourselves that attitude itself is not forced and gratitude is not required. It's optional. But if we truly accept who Jesus is and let him flow through us, it's the most automatic, non-robotic expression of our love for him that we ever could experience. And in the process, we take the focus off of ourselves and turn it right to the one, the only one, who deserves that attention. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I was sharing the story with a colony guy the other day, one of my counselees, and, and his comment to me was, you know, chaplain, God wants us to be happy. I said, really? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you ever go to Disney World? He says, yeah. So what do they call that? 
He kind of said, Disney World? I said, okay, very good. The happiest place on earth. What happens when you walk out of those gates and you're in the parking lot? Is it still the happiest place on earth? Of course, but not for you. And then a month later when the credit card bill shows up, God does not want us to be happy. God calls us to a relationship with him. And sometimes it's going to be hard, but he's still on the throne. And I'll take that. Understanding an attitude of gratitude should completely change our perspective, even as we live in an absolutely ungrateful world. Because we don't have to be of the ungrateful world. God's already given us his peace, allowing us to live in his world. And if you know who Jesus is as your savior, that's for all eternity. And while we're on this earth, the kingdom of God is still here because we have hope. We have a hope that's not something that we expect or, or, or just this anxiousness of expectation, but rather a confidence that we'll spend eternity with his son and him. And that we can be thankful for. So here's our application. Paul writes to the Colossians about this attitude of gratitude, starting in verse 15 of chapter 3. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look at those verses. Let, the word let, connotes allow. Allow God to have control, to have your heart, to dwell in you richly, to prepare you, to teach you through the word that he has allowed you to read and get to know his son better so you can get to know him better. And then do. Whatever you do, whatever you say, it's in the name of Jesus. The one who died on a cross, which is without question the ultimate sacrifice. And in all of this, the whole Megillah we give thanks to the one who loves us best. Pray with me. 
Dear God, we thank you. Just thank you so much. You know, and we and and I and I'll I'll, I'll say, Lord, I just want to just stop and and just say thank you, Lord, that it won't be something that we just cavalierly pass off as as just a an exercise of what we have to say. May we have the common decency to know what thankfulness actually is. Humble us, Lord, to the point that we come to recognize that we don't deserve it. If anything, Lord, we don't deserve anything. What we deserve is death. The same death that, that your son not just experienced, but, but willingly went through for us, for me. Well, I know in my heart that there are times I just don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I know. But you know, I, I just, I'm so humbled and grateful. Keep our focus on that humility that we're able to see you. And Father, allow the attitude of gratitude that comes through your word to be very clear that we might be able to constantly say thank you for just the opportunity to get to know you better. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if anyone here today does not fully grasp or understand or accept or maybe even is, is, is challenged to think that your son isn't who he claimed to be, that that would, would be overwhelmingly shown to that person today, right now, that your grace is sufficient. Father, I pray that the words that have been spoken today would, would change our hearts to be centered on you and not on ourselves or me. Father, I know who I am. I need you. Father, I pray that even those that have accepted you and have been walking with you for years that would come to know that they still need you. Thank you. Thank you. And I mean that. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for the attitude of gratitude that you've allowed us to have. And finally, Lord, most of all, we thank you for your son because can't even describe what he went through. And even those years before his crucifixion and how he continued to show us the truth. And even today, even though he is, he, he is coming back, he still today, through his word, is showing us the truth. And Father, I pray all these things on behalf of my brothers and sisters in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.